Hello and welcome to the Ori Spotlight Podcast. We're talking to leaders across the cell and gene therapy industry and telling you more about Ori's mission to manufacture brighter futures. I'm Jason Foster, the CEO of Ori Biotech, and I'll be your host for today's podcast. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Ori Spotlight Podcast. I am super excited to have live in person, uh, Emily Carey and Tom Whitehead here with us. And online we have Lucy and Lewis uh, Jones, and who are Opie Jones's parents, another CAR T uh, patient here in the UK. And we're going to discuss. We're on site at an Ori meeting, and Emily and her family has been great to visit us in person and inspire our team yesterday and today. And I think you're headed to Ireland next, if that's right, yes. uh, today. So to visit another company working in the cell and gene therapy space. So welcome. Can't wait to have an exciting conversation today about. All, everything related to CAR-T and our ambitions for the future of cell and gene therapy. It's an honor for us to be here. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about <clears throat> the journey that you've both been on as families. Uh, you know, we've, we've had a little bit of this conversation over the last couple of days, but for the benefit of the people listening to the podcast, uh, about the, the differences in your journeys around you know, the getting to CAR-T therapy, uh, and also to to really celebrate, you know, the some of the milestones that both families are having. Ten years uh, is going to be awesome. Want to hear about the uh, celebration that you have planned, uh, and uh, talk a little bit also about the the journey that other patients are facing. I know, you know, Tom and Emily and Carrie and I spoke yesterday a little bit about the contacts they have from all over the world for families that are, you know, battling cancer and trying to get access to to these therapies, which obviously is one of the things that Ori's. Uh, in existence for to try and open up access for patients. So um, wanted to quickly just uh, maybe ask, we've talked a little bit about some of the challenges uh, available or making CAR-T therapy available. Uh, maybe through each of your own stories, we might be able to, to discuss that in, in detail about kind of the, the process of getting to the, the opportunity to have CAR-T therapy and, uh, and how it might be similar or different in the U.S. or U.K. and then in other places of the world as well where it's available. Maybe, Tom, I'll ask you to start. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, we felt very fortunate that um, it was only a four-hour drive for us to get to Philadelphia and, and find it. Uh, thankfully, Carrie, you know, was able to find the trial um, with her science background. Um, but to be able to just stay in Pennsylvania uh, and get it, uh, we did live away from home, you know, for 90 days uh, at the Ronald McDonald House when Emily originally got treated. But I did notice then once it became more um, well known about where it was being given, we helped families from Europe actually come to Philadelphia. So, I mean, for me, just to see that you were able to get treated in London um, was huge. And our goal ever since we had success was, you know, to help other families have the same outcome as us. and. When it's more accessible and you can get it closer to home, that means more families can actually get in the treatment because not everybody could travel to Philadelphia. Sure, sure. And Lucy and Lewis, remind us about kind of your experience and the kind of journey that you've been on with Opie. Obviously, he was very young when he was diagnosed, only five months old, and now you're, I think, about one year on. Is that right? Yeah. He, so, yeah, he was five months old, and he was uh, a very well baby, um, born in the pandemic, but he was a well little baby and I we only took him to the doctors because he had a bit of a cold um, and just was a bit off, off, you know, but relatively still okay. I've got a video of him just before we went and he's like laughing and chatting. And then our GP, who's amazing, um, uh, kind of noticed his, his tummy was swollen um, and 
referred us to the hospital. Without panic. Without panicking <laughs> us somehow. Yeah, just just go to A&E and yeah. Yeah, they'll do a blood test. They might keep yeah. him in overnight. The um, normal, yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, by three, that was at four o'clock in the afternoon and three o'clock in the morning we were had been rushed to Addenbrooke's and he was in intensive care and we were told he was desperately, desperately ill and his white blood count was through the roof um, and our whole world fell apart. We were told very quickly, within a few days, that his leukaemia he had couldn't be treated with the f- sort of first line treatments that it would have been the sort of protocol of years of chemotherapy and that he would need a bone marrow transplant. Um, but we were also told that there was this other therapy that had just been kind of um, approved. Approved. Yeah. Uh, but he'd have but he wouldn't be able to have that straight away. Right. Um, so, yeah, and that, that was October 2020. And am I right that Opie the, uh, was one of the first or one of the very few children of his age group to get access to the therapy in, in the UK or in, in Europe? The first, Did... first 10 in Europe of his age category, yeah. So yeah. still very early days, but, but it's, it's out there. It's yeah. available. Yeah. He, um, yeah, so he was the fir- one of first of ten, um, and we were like, you know, we, Great Ormond Street Hospital for us is sort of an hour and a half away, and we were there for uh, just over three weeks, com- uh, which was, you know, compared to bone marrow, where we were there for yeah three months nearly. We're not far off, is it? No, but yeah, it's good for us to see that kind of uh, advancement because. When Emily joined the trial, they would not treat an infant at that time. They weren't no. treating anybody that young. So to see that it's, uh, you know, come to that point where you can get it, um, it's pretty yeah. amazing. But it's still, it's still a, rest- uh, a criteria that you have to relapse post bone marrow transplant in order to get CAR-T in the UK. But it is there as a secondary treatment and it is approved for use. So there's no issue there with it being done. And we did find out the other day via GOSH that they've now got a trial for using it as first line, so which is great news at last. Yeah. That they're going to attempt to use it as first line and see what happens. Obviously, it's still a trial and it's still a long way off, but but we know what the outcome can be. We've seen it, and um, we hope we're very hopeful that it's going to work. Quite simply, it will become the first. We've seen a couple of therapies be approved for. I think both. Kite's therapy, Yescarta, and Novartis's care, uh, therapy, Kimraya, which I think both of you guys had ultimately. Didn't, oh, did Opie yeah, have Kimraya yeah. as well? Novartis, yeah. Have been moved into first or second line therapy for certain indications. So they are coming kind of earlier in the treatment path, but you know, knowing that, and is it right in the US, the standard of care is chemotherapy first and then a transplant and then potentially CAR T? Is that the way the process works? Well, it had moved up to where when you relapse the first time, you can make the choice of bone marrow transplant or CAR-T. Oh, really? Okay, great. And Dr. Grupp, uh, who is Emily's oncologist, is part of um, treating some patients this year in the U.S. Uh, with uh, frontline treatment for ALL. Awesome. So we're really excited for that as well. Yeah. I think uh, I'm part of some sort of groups where patients from the US are part of and I've, I've certainly read some of their stories where they've been able to have the have CAR-T first and like you said as an option almost which um, is definitely what we would have done had we had a choice for our little boy isn't yeah. it? Yeah I mean, we, we, we were told about it very early on like Lucy said at our 
that all the consultants know about it. You know, they have their meetings every week, every two weeks, and you know that they, they know that it's out there. They know what it's doing, and they want to use it as well. But obviously, it isn't that accessible that they can just say yes. There you go. They, they've got their protocols to follow, so they they don't really have a choice, to be honest, unless it's deemed ultimately necessary to skip a stage. So. But like I say, hopefully with what's coming with the trial, which is active now, the trial, so they've started it. Um, the next few years, it's looking promising that it will it will become the the first line defence or first line treatment. So. And what's the? I was just going to say that you know now I guess next next week's a kind of a big week. It's Emily's birthday, yeah. May second. Yep. And then your ten year cancer free anniversary is also next week or the end of, end of the week. So it's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys want to tell us a little bit about all the things that are happening and maybe the, the movie and the things that are happening around the anniversary? Yeah, so um, we've been making a documentary over the past, um, I guess, eight years or so. And um, we just found out last week that it was accepted into the Tribeca Film Festival. So we, um, it's interesting that it's coming out at her 10-year cancer-free anniversary. It was actually supposed to be out a couple of years ago, but... Um, it, it just kept getting delayed, but it's actually, I think it's coming out at the perfect time. Um, you know, so we can really celebrate Emily's 10 year cancer free anniversary, but, um, CAR T as well, because it'll be five years, uh, this summer that it was FDA approved. FDA approved. Yeah. In the US. And, and I think for us, it's, it's pretty big too, because it'll be the first time that the uh, science community is going to call the treatment a cure. So, I think as parents, we see what our children look like, and, and when they look normal, that's a cure to us. But you know, to have the science community come out and say, I think there's 6,500 Kim Raya patients now, and it's really unprecedented results. So to hear them come out now and say that they think it's a cure too, I think uh, makes us proud. But um, you know, our goal, again, every day has been to make it accessible to families all over the world like yours. Um, so you can have the same outcome as us. Yeah, absolutely, and that's what that's what we want to see. Going we, forward, we we have met you know families along our journey, and you know when, and and when you see what what children have to go through, the the treatments they have to go through when there are these other treatments which are much kinder and they are much kinder. Um, that's what we want to see. That, that these treatments should be first line treatments. They shouldn't be, you know, once anything else, everything else we've tried has failed. And especially when you hear that the the drugs they're using are fifty years old, you think how much further has science come on? What? Why? You know, that's that's just cruel. It's well, our clinical nurse specialist when I was in the hospital with Opie. Uh, it was a. We were, I was a few weeks in, and I was, you know, in this whirlwind of, I don't know what I was in, um, really, but I was struggling with them telling me that Opie needed to have morphine, which is ironic when you think of the other drugs he was having. But to me, morphine is associated. I can't give my baby morphine, and the clinical nurse specialist said that's the level of pain relief he needs because when we give him chemotherapy, it's like putting bleach down him. I mean. That's, those words shouldn't go <laughs> with trying to treat somebody, <laughs> you know. It's, it's archaic, for sure. It really is. And I think for us, you know, when we see Emily sort of 10, 10 years on and Opie's 
you know, we're a year in July, you know, sort of it's the hope. But we always say if we've got hope, we've still got something. So that's, you know. Um, I know the first year is the most crucial, so that'll be a great anniversary. Yeah. What, what's it's, the date? Uh, what, what day in July is the year anniversary? 26th. 26th of July is when he had his cells. So, yeah, we've, uh, we're, that's, that's our year. But it's just, it's, it's just very strange because, again, although, you know, you want to hear what, when will they be cured? When, when, is it called, when do we say they're cured, you know? For all the treatments he's had, there could be long-term side effects for all these treatments he's had. You know, and ultimately, if he'd had CAR T first, he wouldn't have had to have all those horrible drugs that maybe have, have are going to have a long term mm. negative effects on them. And that's that makes you quite angry now, I think. Doesn't that's, it? that's, <laughs> it's our big thing that we've brought out of it, which is our drive for yeah. wanting this to be the first treatment. Mm. Well, I remember you guys saying to us that that you were hoping to help raise awareness in the UK and in Europe. You yeah. know, s- similar to the way Emily's story has inspired us around just ensuring patient access, patients can get accessible treatments, you know, first line yeah. and, and have them, you know, all the options available to clinicians. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, that, that thought and what your experience has been, you know, what, what, you, what you would hope for other, other families like yours in the UK and, and Europe and elsewhere? To, to if, if you get the, you know, the earth-shatteringly horrendous, news that one of your children you know has cancer that ultimately that the treatment is is quick and it's as kind as it can possibly be to the rest of their body and you know the targeted treatments opie had two lots of immunotherapy as well which are also obviously a targeted treatments you know he came home for two weeks over christmas on one of the immunotherapies and he wasn't poorly because that was just targeting the bad cells. That's, you know, that's how I explain it to Emily, his, our Emily, his sister, you know, his bad cells. Um, and that, that's what children should have. That's what all patients should have, but children especially should have, you know. Mm. And you see all these the children, you see them in hospital so poorly, not from the cancer, but from the treatments they're having. Yeah. And then you think the financial impact on the healthcare system overall, when I think of bone marrow transplant, how intense that was, how long we were there for, um, the aftercare for him, it, it doesn't, to me, that doesn't add up. And I know there's a lot more that goes into it, but to me, you think, well, hang on, it, it might cost this much. But actually, if you look at overall, the overall cost of caring for somebody. Yeah giving them all these treatments that are then all these horrible side effects, which then you're going to have to carry on caring for them. Sure. You know, surely that, oh, I don't know. I'm sure it's probably not as simple as that, but to me as a mum, you know, to see when you see your child go through all you have. Yeah. We, we've, we've been fortunate and unfortunate in fact that we've witnessed both. We've witnessed what the harshest of chemotherapy can do to a child and what immunotherapy can do to a child and vice versa with the bone marrow and CAR T. Complete opposite scales of of um, <laughs> impactness on that child. It's it's amazing. It's crazy that we're still giving the other things, but we are, and I understand that. And they they have their procedures, and every medicine they give is a step towards curing, and that that's important. But there are better ways of doing it, and and they're getting there. So yeah, it's great. Em- Emily, you had said yesterday that 
kind of your ambition for you know on the back of the movie and the 10 year anniversary and for the foundation moving forward was really very closely tied to this this topic and, and helping patients get access. Would you just talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so one of my main goals is to have CAR-T become more of a frontline treatment, um, especially after what you said about the effects that like chemotherapy and radiation has on a child, that it's just hard to think about whenever CAR-T exists. And um, it was so much of a shorter time period for me where I went from being really sick to a lot better whenever I had chemotherapy. It was very long amounts of time where I would be sick. Um, so for me, I would love to see it become more of a frontline treatment, um, especially just because it's less toxic for a kid and gets them back home faster. You had said, you know, your your hope is that other kids have the chance to live a normal life like like you've been able to do and go to school and those kinds of things. and. I know that, you know, that'd be ambition for Opie and, you know, every other yeah. patient out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah we had definitely. 22 months of failed chemotherapy, and then 23 days after CAR-T, Emily uh, had no cancer. It's just, I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And you just, I, yeah, I think that's what it, that's when it provokes the anger inside me, especially when I hear Emily talk, because obviously for Opie, being a baby... We, we actually, you know, we'd say, which is that he didn't know what was going on because he was a baby. Whereas we met children who were Emily's age, you know, and they knew exactly what was coming. They knew what was coming through the door with the nurse in the tray, the, you know, the wiggly lines, everything. They knew that. And you just, and yeah, it just makes you so cross. <laughs> it's very, yeah, but you have to go through that when. Mm-hmm. Lewis, there's an interesting point you just raised. We, we discussed yesterday about kind of the awareness amongst the healthcare community, physicians and others. And you'd said that generally the physicians that you come into contact with are aware of the therapy. Um, is that generally true? And, you know, are they anxious to try and use it more or is it something they're kind of resigned to the fact it needs to be last line? Like what's the kind of, what's your experience been? And then I'll come to you guys and ask the same Within question. Within country. Uh, would they have weekly on um, weekly meetings for different areas, if you like? Our consultants and oncologists will have a meeting with the oncologists from all the different hospitals in the UK, including Gosh, and they discuss and they do go out into <coughs> Europe as well, and they bring people in from Europe, and they have these meetings. I think they have those once a month, the, the European ones, and they'll sit and they'll discuss case by case as well, without names, as to whether somebody would need further treatment or if there was something else somewhere else that they could have or they'd discuss it openly between them and so they were all they were all very aware of the treatments that are out there but they're also very aware that they can't just put people on it and they have to go through through the hoops to get there and you know we've been very lucky the two the two main hospitals we've been involved in which is Addenbrooke's in Cambridge and Gosh at London that their children's departments are just amazing and they, all of them you know consultants down to trainee nurses they were absolutely amazing and always willing to help and explain things and but i think they're on the same page as well to be yeah, honest. They, they are they do a lot of the nursing staff i'd say aren't as aware as car t yeah. so when we'd say that you know oh yeah no he's had his car t they'd be like what's that so i think this but at the consultant level 
doctor level they you know they they definitely are aware as I said we were told about it but then I'm pretty sure it's about day five after Opie was we were told he had leukemia we were told you know these were the options this is what was going to happen he needs to have a bone marrow transplant there is this other thing called CAR T but he can't have that he could only have that if he relapsed and if I knew um then what I know now about it I would have fought a lot harder for him to have CAR T a lot harder (laughs) I wouldn't have just taken that line down. Definitely not. I mean, I remember us asking, because we went away and researched CAR-T instantly, as you do, because it was another word that was thrown at us. And we went and Googled it, and I think the Emily Whitehead Foundation probably came up straight away. And we were reading all sorts of things about it. And we went back into the hospital and said, we want CAR-T. And we were told, basically, no, you you can't have it yet. It was our safety blanket, basically is how it was proposed to us. And it shouldn't be the safety blanket, should it? It should be the first thing. Yeah. yeah. The kind of things first. I mean, if they don't work, then I understand you've got to try other things, but kindest, less toxic treatments first. That's what we're after. Has that been your experience as well here as as far as the awareness in the healthcare community, doctors and nurses and others that generally know about it, or is it still relatively low? That's drastically changed since we... uh, received it. In the beginning, it was more in the U.S., um, it was the parents going to the doctor and asking the doctors to research it because they were not recommending it because they didn't, they didn't really know about it. Mm-hmm. And the way it traveled is the nurses that witnessed what happened to Emily in the oncology ward told other nurses, and the nurses were going into the patients saying, go look at the Emily Whitehead Foundation and start trying to fight to get this. So the parents would call us and talk to us and then go back to their oncologists and say, this is what we want you to look into. Um, so it is good for us to see now a lot more oncologists are knowledgeable about it and actually okay with going to it and not feeling like it's something that they don't understand. But there are still, um, you know, we still hear from patients who say their doctors aren't recommending it. Yep. Because it's not going to work. Um, so we always tell families just to, uh, you know, to fight for it because um, there is another option out there. And, um, you know, so sometimes the patients are educating the doctors. Uh, it's sometimes, uh, especially I think in the rural areas, mm-hmm. you know, where it, people might not have heard of Emily's story quite as much. And is it explicit, the discussion? Is it a cost issue? I know in a public health care system like in the U.K., there's a protocol and they follow it and you know you don't have that much choice about what direction you go and the US is maybe a little bit different based on insurance and is it is that the discussion you know Lucy you said the nurse said well you can't have it uh, did they say is it because it's too expensive or is there are there other reasons that are yeah, so I, we were never explicitly said it's because it's too expensive but when I went and, and, and read the kind of government's, you know, guidelines for yeah. giving it, that's it's ultimately implicit. what it boils down to. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it is to do with money. Um, so, so, yeah. Uh, and it's, as you just said, you know, the, the system in the UK is very prescriptive. Um, obviously, it's got its benefits. In ter- you know, it's free at the point of access, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does mean you have you are on this path of, of following what is what you're told you can have, um, and so you know absolutely it, it comes down to cost. Definitely, it does. Come We're down of to the cost. opinion anyway. Yeah, my opinion. I think the thing I've 
sort of, you know, ironic in many ways, is when Opie had his bone marrow transplant, his cells came from the US. And then that didn't work. So then they've taken some cells and they'll send them back to exactly the same place those cells came to, from in the first place. And we kind of thought, well, we could have cut that bit out. And just we could have gone to New Jersey. straight for cartoon. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, and a bone marrow transplant isn't particularly cheap either. I mean, there's a medical procedure. And, I mean, you no, know, in the United so. States, it's very comparable to what CAR T-cell uh, treatments are. I can remember, you know, when Emily was trying to, we were trying to get her into a bone marrow transplant and... If, I'm pretty sure from my memory that they told us just the search to find a, a match because Emily's an only child was somewhere in the $150,000 range. And I think Carl June told me that costs like $12,000 to do the search. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when you're being told that, um, and, and, and they said the, the transplant would be at least that much. And that's not counting your trips to the intensive care unit. And uh, so, but... Um, you know, it, it is a factor in the United States as well. There are, there are parents that just can't get to CAR-T because of their limits on their insurance. Yeah. And they're afraid that they'll lose their house if they try to go to it. And, um, and we just recently, I have some parents messaging me that it's written right in their uh, insurance that they didn't know. In the fine print, it says that they, they're not covered for gene cell therapy. Wow. So it takes it right off the table for them if it's written in the insurance. So we've talked about a couple of the challenges, obviously cost being one, maybe physician, healthcare provider awareness being another. You know, are there other things? I know, Tom, you get outreach from a lot of families all over the country, all over the world, um, and some in developing the developing world. You know, what are the other access barriers that people talk to you about? I mean, obviously, people knowing about it is the first thing, but yeah. Are there other things that are preventing families from getting access that you've heard of? Yeah, I think the travel part of it. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of families that have multiple children and have to keep their jobs and just can't travel to a big research center to get the treatment. That's why, you know, we're we want to be part of spreading the awareness and, and inspiring companies like Ori um, to keep innovating these machines and that can, that can give access to these smaller hospitals everywhere the ability to do it. And, do, and to be able to do it safely, um, which will lead to many more patients uh, being treated globally, yeah. not just in the rural areas, but uh, you know, so many places. It's heartbreaking. If I have a you know an online meeting like this with a parent who is sobbing because their child could get probably get better from the treatment, and they just can't get it in their country, and they can't get a visa to travel, or can't afford to travel. Yeah, we've had outreach from. Um Physicians and, and others in the Middle East and in India and kind of South America and even in other parts of Europe, Spain, where they just say, we want to do this ourselves. We want to do it here at the hospital. We want to treat our own patients. Uh, but it's just not really possible. Part of it, you know, as you said, is sort of the access and the awareness, but also the expertise. It takes a lot of expertise right now to not only develop them, but actually physically make them, you know, to produce them. And so part of our goal is to dramatically reduce the costs, make it much easier and more automated to make the product. So you don't need highly skilled people that, you know, are PhD immunologists to make these things. You can actually do it with automation and, and people like myself with no training. Um, and that's, I think, a, a big barrier is that how do we take it away from only in the specialist centers, only in the Great Ormond Streets and the CHOPs and other places where you have really highly specialist people but bring it out into the community closer to patients, you know, so you don't have to travel so far, so it can be more accessible, more patients, you know, more community hospitals, et cetera, can have access 
and then ultimately anyone in the world, not just in the West. You know, we're very fortunate to have be relatively, you know, wealthy countries that we live in. Um, but there's a lot of countries that couldn't afford a therapy, even if it was half the price it is today or a third of the price it is today. Um, so all these things come together really combined to be quite difficult you know, to overcome uh, as a barrier. I think um, something you just sort of mentioned then about time, um, and obviously the financial side is one thing, but in terms of time, you know, the leukemia that Opie had, um, you know, um, the infant acute leukemia was extremely aggressive. And so time was, you know, really critical for him in the time from when he relapsed and we were told he had less than 0.2% leukemia they found to, you know, within, I think it was in, within, it was within, it was within a, a week, wasn't it? It had shot up to 90-something percent. Yeah. So time is so important because the longer these these treatments take to to kind of um, to make and, and be ready to give back to Opie, you know, his cells. Obviously, his cells have to go off to America to be made amazing. Um, he had to have more treatment to keep keep his leukemia at bay. So that's a great point, and I think which, the, which fortunately was an immunotherapy, it was. and it was a nice one. <laughs> yes, and, uh, and it actually wiped out the leukemia, but <laughs> they weren't expecting it to do. Yeah, it was supposed to just stay on top of it, but actually. Wiped it out. Wiped it out completely. Oh, wow. Great. So, well, no, it's, it's, it's another kind one. It's an often overlooked point to say because of the way the therapies are covered now, only the sickest patients can get access. So you have T cells that are very sick and have been through a lot, you know, with chemotherapy and other things. So you're sort of rate limiting the potential clinical effect because you have sicker T cells you're starting with. So there's a, there's a kind of virtuous cycle, as you said, around timing to say, well, actually, if we can bring it earlier in the treatment pathway, healthier T cells, more likely to have a good clinical outcome, but also the processing time. Because right now, as you just said, there's often a necessity to fly the cells somewhere else for processing. It could be halfway around the world, takes two or three weeks. You know, patients are often very sick at that point. So being able to cut that cycle time and, and bring the treatment closer uh, is could be hugely beneficial from a patient outcome perspective and just making it you know that much more effective. Um, and I wanted to just, I'm very appreciative of all of your time this morning. I wanted to just finish up with um, your ambitions for the future. You know, what's your hope for, uh, I'll start with you, Lucy and Lewis, with, with your, your ambitions for Opie, uh, but also for other kids uh, like him with, uh, with leukemia and the hope that, that you have for, for CAR-T therapy being widely available for patients. Well, we want, we want Opie to be sat where Emily is sat, <laughs> looking as healthy and as, you know. We'll do this in 10 years. You if you guys want to, we'll, yeah. we'll come back together and you can come, you know, <laughs> come we, to us. And whenever we're told we can still see his CAR-T cells, we're like, yeah. <laughs> we want to keep his amazing cells as long as possible. And we just want him to grow and develop and be happy and healthy and achieve whatever he wants to achieve, you know. Um, we feel we've got we we missed a lot, you know, with him being in the, in hospital so lot so long. Um, yeah, we've got quite a lot of catching up to do. So making lots of memories is what we're doing at the moment, isn't it? Lots of family yeah. time and mm, definitely. Awesome. And for other children, we we want them to be diagnosed. Well, we don't want them to be diagnosed, but if it's you know horrendous <laughs> enough that they get the diagnosed and they have treat access to this treatment. Sooner. 
so they don't have to go through the toxic treatments that Opie and Emily had to go through. It's just not fair. No, it's yeah. great. Thank yeah. you for that. And you guys with the foundation and kind of looking forward to the next the next 10 years, what's what's your ambition? What would you hope would... We're sitting here 10 years from now. What we hope will have happened? Well, I hope in 10 years, for, from my perspective, um, that like ALL leukemia will be an outpatient treatment that you get CAR-T and you go back to living your life and it's like anything else you get treated for. And, you know, I can tell you uh, 10 years from now, Opie will have no idea what happened. Uh, but unfortunately, as parents, you won't, you won't forget. <laughs> I wish that, uh, you know, some of that stuff would you know, that we could also put that behind us, but uh, that kind of is what drives me to try to make a difference every day. And uh, we, like I said, our foundation's goal is to help more families like yourself. So um, that's what we do every day. And I hope that, uh, you know, you get to that point where you're 10 years out and Opie says, you know, isn't it time to stop talking about that? Assembly's <laughs> 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 ready to head off to college and put it all behind her. Yeah. Aspiring filmmaker, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about you, Emily? Carrie, any, any final thoughts, parting thoughts on this? Just ambitions for the next 10 years, either for yourselves or for families like yours? Um, I think Tom pretty much said he always sums things up. He's good at this. Well, it's been so great having you here. Thanks so much for joining us in person. And great to meet you in three dimensions after speaking in over teams. We can't wait so many to times. finally meet you guys one of these days. Yeah. We, we will. We will. Yeah. I was going to say, COVID's conspired to keep us apart. Uh, but, uh, yeah. you know, Tom was nice enough to introduce us to you guys and hope you guys get a chance to meet and maybe at the Believe Ball. Yeah, it really, know. it is great. When we brought the families together the first time, there was 35 families together and and you get to meet people that actually know what you went through, and uh, it just helps everything, you know, getting to meet some of the other families. And our whole event is, is focused on, how, you know, giving these kids a, a special night uh, where they can have fun, and uh, everybody involved had a lot of fun. And it also raises a lot of money to help the next families. So uh, we're going to continue to try to do that and do whatever we can. And I know now that you will too, and even doing this podcast for you, even when you don't feel good. I think you'll hear from another family uh, over here in the UK that'll get in touch with you and say, we found it because of your willingness to be out there sharing it. I hope so. I say, I, um, I very regularly say, and I used to say to the nurses as well, when they'd say, what's CAR-T? And I'd say, go to the Emily Whitehead Foundation page, go and find that. <laughs> That's what you need to be reading. <laughs> but yeah. Well, thank you for that too. That's great. Well, the Believe Ball is September 17th, you said. That's yeah. the next big chance, big fundraiser. Yeah. You guys also do a golf tournament and some other big things. Yeah, on uh, July 15th, we have our tee-off for T-Cells golf tournament uh, in, our, in our hometown, which has been a huge success. Um, over the years, we're going to have a viewing of our movie the night before. Uh, and the movie is called Of Medicine and Miracles. I don't know if you guys knew that yet, but... Um, Worked very hard on the film. It's going to be in Tribeca and get quite a bit of media attention, and hopefully that leads to more access to CAR T. Yeah, that's what sure it will. Definitely. Maybe we can get a screening yeah. over here in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Eventually, we'll that's come awesome. over and have a screening with you. Well, that'll yeah. be great. <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah. All right, we'll definitely. look forward to you guys getting together sometime this year, and and awesome. Enjoy next week. 
and, uh, and yes. the rest of the yes. year. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Amazing. <laughs> well, thank you guys for joining us and, and hope you feel better. Hope you guys and hope yeah. you know everybody feels much. better. See you all soon. All right. See you soon. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Ori Spotlight Podcast. To keep up with the latest in cell and gene therapy and to follow us on our mission to manufacture brighter futures for patients, head to the show notes to follow us on social media or visit oribiotech.com.